Hey guys, Travis Greenlee with Epic Man Radio, rattling the cage and reigniting the fire. So imagine being a pioneer in the internet investment banking space and raising over $5 billion in growth capital and acquisition value for your clients. We're going to learn exactly how funding specialist Mitch Stepko did it in today's episode of Epic Man Radio. Rattling the cage and reigniting the fire. You're listening to Epic Men Radio. Hey guys, welcome to Epic Men Radio. And in today's episode, we're joined by industry-leading CEO coach, Mitch Stevko. Now, Mitch is an expert in CEO coaching, private placements, mergers and acquisitions, and public offerings. He's an expert in strategy, high performance, accelerated business and personal growth, strategic partnerships, transformation strategies, recruiting, and fundraising strategies. Mitch also started the world's first dedicated internet investment banking practice in 1996 for Piper Jaffrey, where he advised and coached over 150 CEOs to raise $5 billion in growth capital and acquisition value. Mitch is the creator of a unique business model for helping high-growth CEOs and teams to be more impactful, successful, and combines proven success strategies and proven strategies of conscious leadership. Mitchell, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you with us, my friend. Travis, it's great to see you. I'm so glad everything's going well with your health and with this uh, Epic Men group, and I'm excited to uh, contribute in any way I can. Awesome, brother. Well, again, thanks for being here. So, so you're clearly at the top of your game. I mean, man, you are crushing it. And you've been doing this for a long, long time. I mean, way back in the 90s and, of course, before that in the finance space and, you know, Piper Jaffrey, and you've raised all this money. You've got these amazing contacts. You've done so phenomenally over the years. But let's backtrack just a little bit. Let's look at where you started with all this because we realize with the guys listening in, you know, we, we all have our stories. You know, we've got our successes as well as the failures. So take me back, say, 20, 25 years or so as you begin to develop this career. How did it start? What were some of the links and, you know, the twists and the turns that have gotten you to the place of where you are today? Well, like a lot of other people, I, I, I did it very uh, skillfully by paying my dues. I started out working at KPMG as a staff accountant, working with a bunch of growth companies in their growth company group. And I literally did audits and consulting and, and you know, entry, entry level work, paying my dues for a couple of years, got my CPA, was attracted to a great client that had a $10 million data services company. Uh, this was before the cloud. They were they had big mainframes in their office, <laughs> a cold room, the whole deal. And at 25, I was CFO of a $10 million company that was growing fast. Wow. So that, wow. that was pretty exciting. Um, I worked for them for a while, and then I got attracted to a venture-backed hot company that had two of the hottest venture capitalists in the world, uh, Tim Draper from Draper Fisher Ventures, who, among other, many other things, uh, found Skype, found the guys that did Skype. Wow. And Dave Marquardt, who was the only venture capitalist that Bill Gates allowed to invest in Microsoft. And he served on Microsoft's board for the next 25 years. That same year, he also had IPOs with Sun, Apollo Computer, and Microsoft. So pretty good year for an investor. Wow. And just from there, it kind of took off. That company ultimately wasn't successful. I learned a ton from helping wind them down and ultimately started helping a bunch of growth companies. And then that turned into a little merchant banking business where I started helping raise money and bring in people and 
you know, here in the Silicon Valley, you can't turn around without bumping into some growth company that needs help. Right. So it was like a lot of right place at the right time. Wow. And that ultimately led into investment banking by one of my mentors. And ultimately, I saw the internet coming in 96, and my partners at my other bank didn't see it and didn't believe in it. So I found a firm that did, and we built something extraordinary. So timing. Wow. Tell me about the uh, oh, it was an overnight success in about twenty years. Yeah, right, <laughs> right place at the right time, man. I mean, really being in the Silicon Valley and being in the tech space and yeah. you know the the funding space. So, tell me a little bit about super interesting story you mentioned about Piper Jaffray. You know, bringing yeah. that to the marketplace and and you know marrying the technology that was available at that time as well as the finance piece. How did all of that come together? Well, it was, you know, again, at 96, nobody really understood what the internet was going to be. And so a big part of it was just defining all, there were like eight or seven or 800 companies we first identified that were in the internet somehow. Mm -hmm. And it was working with my research analyst, a brilliant guy, ended up becoming a VC. He wrote an e-commerce report basically on, divided the internet kind of into eight sectors, you know, enabling software, you know, consumer uh, companies that were online media companies companies that were doing commerce, early commerce companies, and the infrastructure. I mean, I, my, one of my interesting stories, I got to meet Elon Musk before he at, was at PayPal. He wow. was at a company called x.com. That was their URL, just an x.com. And they were the leading high-profile payments provider. And about halfway in the conversation, Elon mentions casually to me that his technology doesn't scale. And I'm like, well, that's kind of funny. You'd think a CEO of a technology, I'm going to be worried about that. But he already had the money. He already had the market positioning. And two months later, they announced the PayPal merger. So he had already been working on taking care of the technology that was going to truly be able to scale and lead the online payments revolution. So, Wow. Talk about a visionary. Oh, my gosh, what he's been able to do with his career. I mean, for millions of people, both, kind of, of course, yeah. PayPal and Tesla. And just what a visionary. Solar, Solar City. He founded Solar City. So, I mean, and, and, and brought, I think it's a, either a brother or some relative that's running that. So, and SpaceX. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, the guy could have just quit at 30. I mean, you know, he, I mean, he, PayPal sold to eBay, you know, and he, he had a hundred mil, a couple hundred mil, you know, that, at that time at 30 and could have just sat on a beach somewhere and instead he just, he's decided he needs to change the world. Yeah, I love it. In fact, I was watching a video where he was talking about, you know, one of the keys to his success is the fact that he just doesn't quit because clearly he's had some successes and he's had some failures. In fact, some major failures, three major failures in a row. And the interview, the question to him was, you know, why don't you just pack it in? You know, after all this and heartache and the struggle and so on and so forth. And he says, I don't quit. He said, I'd have to either be dead or incapacitated to quit. And it's like, you know, a great message for a lot of entrepreneurs. It got a lot of guys listening in where, you know, there's struggles with what we do. And as we build businesses and there's frustrations and teams and people and servicing and as you know, with everything that you've done, sometimes, uh, you know, it could be a little challenging, but just to stay in the game as you've done, right? I mean, would you, would you consider that maybe one of your keys to success is just not quitting, continue to grow and continue to reinvent yourself over the years? Well, I, I've never quit for one because I have such a lifelong passion. I've, I, since the earliest time I can remember, I love helping other people. And very early that became, I love helping people that run businesses make them better or grow them or impact more people. So that's a lifelong passion that's never going to go away. Sometimes you're putting your energy into something that may not be providing the ultimate yield and you have to either decide sometimes to 
do I put more into that, more, more energy, more investment? I mean, time is, is the only thing that really matters. I mean, is, is we all have a certain amount of time that we don't know what it is, and you've gotten to face that a couple times sure. in your life already, but we all face it. You know, it's just most people don't think about it. Right. So there are times when I've walked away from projects or partnerships or companies. Um, Richard Branson, who's one of the guys we model a lot in our Conscious Leaders Mastermind, really admire. He said one of the biggest mistakes he makes is he often keeps his companies too long before he sells them. Hmm. That's one of the biggest mistakes that looking back now, 400 plus companies, he often doesn't, he, he's a great guy at launching, getting things going. You probably just saw he sold Virgin US recently. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And to Alaska, which I hope won't kill that airline, but I mean, I don't like Alaska very much, so <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping I'll let Virgin stay the way it is. But you know, you have to learn to know when to hold them, when to fold them. But you know, to stop playing the game if you if you love the game, if you love what you're doing, if you're helping people, if you're making a difference, that just never goes away. Right, that, your core. It really is yeah. the essence of what drives you. Then, and so because money's important, lifestyle's important, but I think even more important, especially for you, is it's making that difference. It's being about passion about what you do when you get up in the morning, excited, and when you go to bed at night, just feeling satisfied about what you did throughout that day. Right. Well, the best advice I probably ever got was from my dad, who was a thirty third, thirty fourth degree Mason by the time he was twenty five, and he he basically said, "Son, always, always love what you're doing." And if you don't, change it as soon as you possibly can. Mm. And that was just the, and he, t- he told me that over and over again as a small kid. And in my career, you know, I mean, I didn't love public accounting. I wasn't really meant for that. And I stayed in the minute, and I did like working with the company. So I, I stayed in the minimum amount of time to get my CPA certificate, to learn what I could from it, and then to move on. Another company, I, I, I loved some aspects of the company, but I, there was an issue with one of the two owners I didn't like at all that was it wasn't a values and ethics conflict so i left hmm. because i wasn't going to compromise my ethics and values mm-hmm. even though i loved so many other things about the company i couldn't get around that one thing so right. i moved on so i'm curious because there's a lot of guys listening in right now that i think are probably in that place you know maybe they've held on a little too long whether it's a career or a company or a business something like that and and maybe we're just, whether it's out of fear or indecision or whatever it might be, but haven't been able to make that decision, to let that go, to be able to move on to something else. Obviously, you've done a lot of this. What kind of advice would you give our guys, based on your experience, to be able to do that, to have that mental clarity to see what's truly important and maybe the confidence to be able to make those types of decisions? Well, I've been more fortunate than most in that, you know, one, my wife and I chose not to have children. Our child is our four-pound teacup chihuahua, Sophie. when you got two kids and a spouse and a house and the club thing and sending the kids to college I mean I really feel for a lot of my friends you know those men of a certain age that are 50 plus where you know the the job opportunities aren't just like hurling at you because people are trying to replace you with a younger cheaper version Mm -hmm. and so you you really have to think about those things Uh, I've helped some of my friends look at um, kind of starting to pick up something part-time that might be more aligned with their passion and, you know, try to do as a consultant. I mean, it's, it's so easy for anybody to start kind of a part-time business. Mm-hmm. Um, but to really make the big pivot, if you know, to walk away from the several hundred or half a million a year job that's supporting everything. And if you, depending on how much you have in the bank, I mean, I really admire everybody to anybody that has the courage to do that because it's a, uh, it's a tough box to walk away from. And especially if you don't have a clear vision of what's next. Right. And I think there are guys like you, some a lot of the guys that have been on this, 
help people. You know, I mean, I, I, I coach people through transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally only work with CEOs that have, you know, seven or eight or nine figure businesses, but I've worked with some folks that are high level in one company and are trying to figure out how can I pivot to this next thing. And you have to look at, I mean, some people, they'll go to a weekend seminar and they'll go to Tony Robbins and they'll jump up and down and go, I, I got to go do follow my heart's passion. But it's got to be ecological for everybody in your world who you love. I mean, you know, when I left investment banking in 2001, you know, I had, you know, really good solid money in the bank. We had no kids. We had no debt. So it was, it was a fairly clean decision, plus all the confidence of having worked for myself many times before that I could go do this. I could go figure out some way to make the money I needed to do and do it doing things I love. Right. But I I would not want to wave a magic wand. In fact, I I have a magic wand here that a friend gave me. So I wouldn't wave this magic wand to any of your readers and just say, hey, go follow your heart's passion and leave behind your career or go follow your heart's passion and go chase the younger next model, which a lot of successful entrepreneurs do. They, you know, they sell their company and then trade in for the younger wife. They get a bigger house. They travel around the world. Then they just go right back into the same rat hole again. Right. The same mousetrap. And it's sort of like, I really admire a lot of the twenty-somethings, a lot of the uh, um, the millennials, because they're they're hitting the success point. They're like, okay, now I've learned a lot. Now I've got all this money. I've got all this knowledge. Now what else can I? How can I take this and make the world a better place? Yeah, I'm like, this is fantastic because this is the first generation where I've seen a significant minority of those people doing that versus the Silicon Valley entrepreneur that just goes and does it over and over again, or just becomes a VC, or but isn't trying to look at some way to take all this knowledge and information and go make the world better. Mm, And that that was a big aha of me over my 15 years since banking is how can I use all of this to, you know, the internet was cool. The internet's changed the world. Some of it really for good. I don't know if spending four hours a day on Facebook is good or not. I'm not the the right moral person to answer that. Um, But, you know, there are things that you certainly know are good just because your heart tells you they are. And I've tried to work and align with people that are involved in those types of businesses. I love it. It's, you know, getting the clarity then to be able to have the confidence to double down on yourself, you know, and, and really to be able to do what you, you're passionate about. And I think what you're saying is being responsible as well, being practical, because man, if we've got families and we've got mortgages, we've got all this. I mean, we, we certainly don't want to walk away from all that, you know, chasing some sort of potential pipe dream. Yeah. But that balance in between. And I think what you really said and, and nailed it is the importance of coaching, the importance of getting outside of our own heads and having support from professionals like yourself who do this for a living, you know, and have done this and have experienced this yourself and are able to help other guys through it that just, man, we just, we're so close to our own stuff so many times that we just can't be able to make the right decisions and have that clarity to make a confidence-based decision versus a fear-based decision. Right. Yeah, and the ability to see your blind spot. We all have them. Hopefully, as we grow and mature as beings, we get more aware of ways to look at our own blind spots. But I mean, that's why 360s are so important in the corporate work environment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to have a coach, have a mentor, have an advisor, have a mastermind group, a small group of men. It doesn't have to be a paid one, but just a group of people that can see you as you are and be able to share with you who you are in a way that's not intimidating or scary, but it's that, that's the only way we grow. I mean, none of my growth has come through when stuff was easy. Right. It always, it always, right. There's not much growth when you're in the flow, when you've hit that wave and you're just rocking and rolling. The growth all happens when you really face, okay, I've got this thing and it's a recurring pattern in my life and it's not getting better and it's not changing. So do I want to continue this pattern 
for the next 20 or 30 years or the second half of my life? Or do I really want to look at what it is and do some deep down digging into technology like we've done with neurolinguistic programming and energy medicine and tapping and clinical hypnosis, things that have really clinically proven to help people get from here to there? Because getting here to there, because sometimes those, those barriers or blocks or those, those belief programs um, are really tough to shift out of. Right. Right. Except when we're so close to it all. And I, you, I think you nailed it right there as well is, and, and you heard the phrase, you know, crisis brings change. You know, when we feel like we go through some sort of crisis in our, in our lives and it could be a, a financial crisis, it could be a health crisis, it could be relational, some sort of major crisis or that shift, that challenge that has us step out and say, are we still on the right path? Are we on the right path that works for us given your values? Because all of our values change as we yeah. grow as we mature, right? So well, and not only do they change as you mature, if you're really going to grow to the next level, like I've met so many people that are here in life and they want to get here and they don't realize that they are going to have to shift some of their values because if they keep at the same level, you're not going to get from here to there. We call it core values versus your instrumental values. Mm. And these are the values that I'm going to have to adapt if I'm going to get to this next level mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your major. And, and I know, again, we all have the twists and the turns and you've done so well, but how about thinking back over your career? If you could really pinpoint one specific crisis or breakdown or failure or something that when you went through it, man, it felt painful and it was scary and it was ugly, but of course getting through it and coming to the other side, it was probably one of the biggest miracles in your life. So what was maybe something like that that you went through? And then what did you learn from it that we can pass on to our guys? I wish you had more time in your podcast because I've had so many of those major <laughs> challenges. The first 40 years of my life was basically running into brick walls and trying to run through them. The biggest learning that I've had is that you can be like water and you go around it, under it, above it. And if I had to just pick one, uh, it would be when I sort of had gotten to where I could get in, in my, on my own, running mm-hmm. my own business and leaving that freedom for the structure of an investment firm. I mean, I really valued the freedom of working for myself. Mm-hmm. But if I was going to get to the next level as an investment banker, I had to go pay dues again. I had to start all over again and kind of be the junior investment banker. And one of my friends, to, the first firm I worked for paid me no salary. I had no office. I had a desk with sitting in the lobby that faced a port, a picture that my partner's wife had painted, had painted and it was horrible. I asked <laughs> to change it and they wouldn't let me change it. But, you know, my friends that knew me that worked there went, it's like, wow, I saw you do that. I saw you get up at 4 a.m. for those flights. And I saw you, you know, stare every day at a picture that you hated because you knew that was the next step you had to do, that you had to be willing to pay dues if you were going to make that transition. And, you know, three years later, I'm in a corner office overlooking the bay, flying private clients on private jets to IPOs. Now, I didn't know that was going to happen, but I had a sense of, I had a, I had a sense that it was going to get better. And if I paid some dues with the, and brought the skills that I had in the heart and the real caring for clients, that good things would happen. Right, right. So you move past your comfort zone. You had a nice, comfy, you know, successful, financially successful business on your own and to let all that go to step out and to take a risk. So that's and a work, And work for nothing. I mean, work for on, on the come only 100% commission. Wow. Well, it's like you said, it gets you out of bed early in the morning, doesn't it? Um, yeah, although a lot of that back then was fear driven. I try to actually have uh, most of my motivation now come from being pulled toward 
the exciting future and the things I see and the ability to, you know, see this world become a better place. Great point. So how, again, guys listening in, because I think there are a lot of guys now, if they would even imagine making a change like that, it's a scary thing, right? Well, I mean, again, we've got mortgages and we've got families and, and all the stuff. How do we, if we begin to make that decision, to get the clarity to make a decision, to take that next step, whatever that might be, to do it from a place of you know, gratitude and grace and love and God and spirit and all the things that you are all about now with your whole conscious leadership in your business versus the whole you know, ego, fear, struggle, all the stuff that we used to have in the 80s. You know, the if it's to be, it's up to me and fake it till you make it. And like, remember all that stuff? <laughs> I mean, we, we've come such full circle in the last 20, 25 years from more of that fear-based, ego-driven to much more of a conscious, spirit-based. How did you do that? And how can we support our guys to doing that as well? Well, I still, you know, I think you and I live in bubbles where we live and in the circles we travel in. Conscious, conscious leaders is still a, a tiny minority of this world right now, real conscious men. Mm -hmm. um, one of my good friends and one of our original members, our mastermind, John Gray, just wrote a great book, co-wrote a great book called The Conscious Man that has, I think, 12 or 15 steps you can take to becoming more conscious. John's been an awakened being since he was 29. He's way more than the Mars Venus, even though it's one of the most powerful brands of all time, and he's sold 50 million books. But there are lots of ways, and part of it is just becoming, it all starts with more, greater awareness. Greater awareness of yourself and your feelings, and greater awareness of everyone around you. Mm. Um, most men are, are one of three things. Either one, they, they're dissociated from feelings completely because they had a bad early experience, either in this life or genetic memory. And so they're living life incredibly not only unconscious, but very disconnected. Mm. Uh, secondly, they could be unconscious, but have kind of limited access to emotions for certain things like they may they may go to church on sunday and have a wonderful experience with god on sunday and i'm not just picking on any specific religion sure. and on, but then on monday not live any of those values at work because work is a blood sport and business is still in most cases kind of a kill the guy next to you you know harvard business school type of I mean a harvard business school till teaches that crazy so that's that's one of the things and then the third man is the is the epic man the man that, that you're attracting it's the it's the man that's somewhere on the consciousness scaling realizing i want my head and my heart and my gut to be more connected and i want them to be connected to something that's greater in this world in service to a higher purpose mm. and whatever that is the higher purpose might just be i'm going to be a way better father and a way better husband and i'm just gonna be a way better man and a way better friend and be the best person i can be at the business i'm at i mean salesforce calls itself a conscious company because they give 1% of their revenue and ask employees 1% of their time. But there's nothing conscious about sales software. I mean, that's one of the most unconscious businesses in the world. So you don't have to leave your company you're at now and go only belong to a renewable energy company or some you know, nonprofit in order to serve as a conscious leader and be a conscious business person. It's all about choosing what are the values that you're gonna live your life consistently at work and at home and with everybody you affect in your community. Love it. Love big picture thinking, you know, not just about us any longer. It's been so about the guys and just this narcissistic, you know, male, alpha male, crazy. <laughs> and and I'm not blaming men for it, man. It's like, you know, I mean, men have had to be the provider up until a couple generations ago. We were, we were the sole responsibility for the survival of our wife, our kids, right. um, and our parents or the wife's parents. 
So you have to understand that this is plugged into genetic memory that they now have proven through science that multiple generations on both sides of all pre-coded men that we must provide, we must survive, and we must thrive. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that focus uh, often doesn't allow you to have time to sit and think about the bigger things. Right. You know, because you're either trying to kill something to eat or worry about be killed or your parent or family being killed. Right. So it literally comes down to that primal level. And, you know, are we starting now to evolve some from it? Yes. Are we still dominated around society by things that don't allow men to really share their feelings or sharing your heart is weak? I mean, you know, look what's even going on with our politics now, which I won't go into, but it's a, it's a bunch of chest thumping still. because and it's, and it's working. I mean, it's working with a big portion of the population. So we have all this hardwiring and coding that we can now get into, that we can now step beyond, but it's not easy. It's been a 50-plus year journey for me, and I'm still working on it. You know, I, I do unconscious things every day. I just do a lot fewer of them than I did 10 years ago. Right. Or, ago, or three years ago. Or three months ago. Or right. Three minutes, or three minutes ago. So it's just like you wake up every day with the intention. I mean, I have a daily morning practice that is that we teach all the members called the coach state about how do I be connected? How do I be grounded? How do I be open? How do I be centered? And how do I set intention for how I want to be in the world today? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, I measure myself and kind of do some assessment. How good did I do? Mm -hmm. where, where, where did something pop me out of my space? Was, was there a tone or a conversation with somebody that suddenly got me out of this place of service and connection and everything's great and into a much lower state that I used to be in that I don't want to be in anymore? Right. Did, I, did, I, did I eat something that put me in a lower state? There are, right. there are foods that can drop my state. You know, it's like, I mean, conscious leaders, I, I, I get shocked. I go to some conscious things, uh, business events. The first thing they do is serve everybody wine. Well, there's nothing conscious about lowering your consciousness intentionally with alcohol, you know, I've had alcohol a lot in my life, but I don't do it now, and it doesn't make sense to me because it's lowering my ability to be authentic and connect with people, and it's a depressant. So why would I, you know, the, the, you see the contradictions that are even still happening. I mean, oh, yeah. like at, at, at conscious business events, you know, they serve wine at them. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. They're not being conscious. They're not walking their talk. I mean, truly. No. So I'm curious. You, so you mentioned a routine again, because it's really powerful, as you know, rituals and routines and things that we can do to manage our state, to be able to yeah. get connected and to get centered and to really be able to produce at our highest level possible and to be in flow. So what are a couple of things that you teach your guys in, in the mastermind and the conscious leader mastermind? And what are, what are some specific activities that we could do maybe on a daily basis that you do that helps you to get and remain in that state? on a daily basis? Well, first of all, I've, I've modeled a lot of really successful people that are conscious men. Everybody from John Mackey to Richard Branson to John Gray and Robert Diltz, my partner in the mastermind. What I found in every single one of them has a morning routine. They set aside a morning practice time for their mindset, whether it's mindfulness or meditation. What we teach is an active guided meditation called the coach state. The hmm. C stands for centered and grounded. I call it G-Coach, actually. I tease Robert because he came up with the original formulation. So you really practice using NLP connecting to the ground and the earth. Mm -hmm. They've even found now that grounding and earthing, walking around barefoot, it's something I've, I've turned, turned to doing because I live near the water here. Is I try to walk on the beach for 20 or 30 minutes every day because mm. it puts me in this incredible. But if I don't have the 30 minutes, because I know NLP, you can do something called anchoring and see, hear, and feel that and relive it. And we teach stuff like that. 
So then once you're grounded and centered, then you're open in your heart space so that most men, their hearts are very closed in the business world. We don't have many heart-based relationships unless we're typically in a faith group or maybe with our spouse and kids or your dog. But outside of that, to see men really opening their heart to others, not very common. Right. But we have a practice to help you do that. Um, once you've opened your heart, you become awake, alert, aware, present, and centered in your headspace, and then connected, the other C in coach is to connect it deeply to yourself because most men are very dissociated from themselves because being inside of there and feeling is scary and then being connected to the greater whole, whatever that is for you, whether it's a belief system, whether it's the universe, whether it's nature. I mean, nature, I was just having a talk with this top environmentalist, Sally Ranny, who's in our group, and it's like she became awakened just because she a great story. She was in church with her mom at seven and her mom said, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go be with God. And she walks her outside and says, where is God? And she pointed to this huge tree in the field and says, God's there in that tree. And she pretty much spent the next three years in that field with that tree, any chance she got. And that's how she became awakened and became one of the top environmentalists in this country because she said, we're all one with every living thing. And I hope for your business guys in this group, I'm not getting too California for you, but <laughs> for her to see any destruction to our environment was literally killing herself and killing her creator. That's how she saw it. That's, that's how she could chain herself to a tree back in the 70s as an early protester, you know, to prevent them from bulldozing down that tree. That's that level of connection. Wow. So wow. this coach state sounds like it's a lot. It, it originally takes about 10 minutes to practice, but we teach people to do a one-minute, a five-minute version, and then if you use anchoring, you can instantly get into that state. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I told you that everybody has things that will pop them out of their state. Belief triggers, sounds. Um, there can be visual, auditory, kinesthetic, smells. And if you, if you get out of this heightened state, how do you get back in? And so we teach people resilience techniques to, you know, that could very quickly get you back into a higher state. Because my best mentors say, yeah, I get knocked out of my state. But instead of going from a 10 to a 1, I go from a 10 to a 7. And instead of mulling over it for days or weeks, I, I fix it in two minutes because I'm aware of it. Right. Literally monitoring or managing my state on a regular basis saying, hey, I'm not at my best. Can I go listen to a song right now? Can mm -hmm. I do a couple Qigong moves? Can I do a little light bouncing? Can mm -hmm. I do a deep four breath in and a four breath out? Can I look at some physical anchor that makes me feel like my best or most powerful? And um, those, are, those are some of the tools we teach. We teach people how to make quantumly better decisions. I mean, imagine if every day, Travis, you're making hundreds of decisions, both personally and professionally. Sure. 10% better at your decision-making compounded over a year. Where do you think you're going to head up? Oh, man. I mean, millions. Mil financially, certainly millions. Absolutely. <laughs> and a whole lot happier, even more importantly. <laughs> well, yeah, the consequences of bad decisions aren't just missed opportunities. It's the pain of cleaning up the right. mess right. of bad decisions. One of my CEOs who just sold her company for, uh, I, can't, I can't disclose it because it wasn't public, but it's mid-eight figures, so we can say that. You know, one of the things we worked on specifically was, you know, she knew she was making about 50-50 good decisions because they'd, they'd quantify them. So she's literally a professional person, very successful on everything else, about 50-50. So we got it up to like 70-30 and things just went like that. Oh, I mean, it was okay. just like amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What an enormous difference. So. Mitch, fantastic stuff, brother. I mean, absolutely amazing stuff. Some great tips, 
some great resources, some things to think about in terms of getting centered and getting re-anchored and, and be able to move through that to be as productive as you can. Like you said, moving from a 50-50 to a 70-30 in terms of productivity and happiness and clarity, enormous, especially for people like us that are playing a bigger game. Everybody yeah. listening in. Again, I mean, they wouldn't be listening in if they're not playing a bigger game. So it's all about getting what we can out of ourselves, being able to manage our state to the best that we can to be able to produce at a much higher level. So listen, if our guys wanted to get a hold of you to learn more about you and what you're up to and what you're doing, I, you had mentioned you've got a mastermind going with Dilt and these amazing guys. Tell us a little bit about that, what it is, and then also where to find you if you would. Well, Robert Diltz is one of the best kept secrets on the planet. Most of, most of your listeners have probably used some technique or tool or strategies. Ed. The guy was literally one of the co-founders of neuro-linguistic programming 40 years ago. Wow. He's written 23 books on the fields of NLP, leadership, personal growth, change. By anybody who's inside the NLP field, he put Tony Robbins on Tony's first stage. <laughs> I, mean, he's, I mean, Robert is really like this master ninja who just goes around the world teaching. He's one of the world's leading experts in modeling. Like, how do you study a Branson and take the best of how Branson makes a decision and figure out how to create a model that you or I could replicate? And in mm -hmm. fact, that's what we did. We modeled Branson. We modeled uh, Warren Buffett. So we've put together this group of 20, between 20 and 30 leaders. They're from seven different countries. We spend a year together. Uh, a lot of us are now with us for their third year. They're men, they're women. They're probably most of them in their 40s to their 60s. Uh, they're across nine different industries. Uh, most of them have uh, have or have had a seven, eight, or nine-figure business scale up. And uh, we spend three times together live for three-day weekends here in the San Francisco Bay Area, monthly by webinar, monthly in a group coaching, and monthly in a group transformation. So everybody who spends a year in this is not only going to get these lifetime relationships and lifetime shifts in the weekend, but there's monthly to support to help get you to where you want to go next. Mm. And it's, it's the only one of these that has access to Robert in the world. It's the only year-round program you have access to someone like me either. I mean, I used to not think much about what I did, but there aren't a lot of folks that have raised $5 billion. And a lot of that was 20 years ago back when $5 billion was real money. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, on a relative scale, these were, these were amazing financings that we pulled off and seeing that first wave of the Internet. And I really think that the Internet is going to be – I, that the wave of the change of the internet is going to be like conscious business. So right. if you want to get a hold of us, there's two ways to do it. Our we our website is consciousleadersmastermind.com, and uh, you can uh, I have a forward slash to webcast that you can sign up for this conscious leaders webcast series that I'm doing very similar to Travis's. I've also got contact information at consciousleadersmastermind.com, also and forward slash webcast if you want to sign up. We also have, for anybody that's ever going to create anything in the future, on the homepage, we actually teach uh, the Walt Disney strategy. So you can opt in and get an audio and some written thing on how to do exactly how Walt Disney created every one of those great movies you saw, Disneyland, Disney World. It's a beautiful strategy. It's used in Pixar today. We just taught it to 50 executives at Google a couple months ago. We've been asked to teach it at Airbnb and a couple other amazing companies, Salesforce, just asked us to teach it to a bunch of their people. Wow. So, consciousleadersmastermind.com, you can get all my contact information there, opt in, and we'll, uh, we'll get, you, get you on the path. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Again, we know how busy you are and how much you've got going on. So to, to come and hang out with us for half an hour and just to impart your brilliance and your genius, it means the world. So thank you, brother. Anything for you, brother Travis, and your, and your tribe and what you're doing. I really support your cause. 
Thanks for listening to Epic Men Radio. Rattling the cage and reigniting the fire. Be sure to share Epic Men Radio with other men in your tribe so no one will ever miss a single empowering episode. You can find us at epicmen.com. Epicmen.com.